Praise God. Happy Christmas, everybody. And Happy New Year. It's an important message. Whether we accept it or not, or whether you are aware of it or not, God likes milestones. He's got them all through Scripture. He was always setting up a stone here and a stone there, an altar here and an altar there. Because He knew that uh, as fickle human beings, we're very quick to forget the lesson. We're very quick just to, to move on with life and then nothing changes. And not just years, but decades go by and you're the same person. Nothing's moved. Nothing's shifted. And so, times and seasons are massively important to God. And this is one Christmas, this is one new year that I don't want to make that mistake on. The children of Israel made that mistake again and again and again. So God would say, okay, let's try again. Take a stone. Set it up. Pour oil over it. And remember. Remember what happened last year. Remember what I've just taken you through. Right? Make a marker in history. And I hope that we can do that today. It's an important day, as I say to God. So we need to make it an important day to us. Today's message is about seasons and seeds. Turn to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. Just got one scripture I want to share with you. Genesis 8 and verse 22. This is a covenant promise from God to all who live. A covenant promise between God and the earth. Genesis chapter 8 verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And that becomes, as you read on through the Bible, that becomes a more and more important promise from God. What's happening there is God is speaking to plants, animals, and all of us. Speaking to the human race. And he's making a commitment. He's making a promise. He's making a statement. And he's saying, as long as the earth is turning, I promise you this, there will always be seasons. There will always be heat and cold There'll be winter and summer as long as the earth remains. And people have asked for centuries, you know, how does God bring about change on the earth? Well, God already answered that in the beginning of the book. Hello. God brings about changes through seasons, right? Nothing's changed. Every season having its own unique purpose Every season in the earth and every season in our lives having its own unique task to do. And we could say, well, how does God grow an apple? Through seasons. How does God grow a cabbage? Through seasons. How does God grow a Christian? How is a Christian actually going to grow according to the Bible? Answer, through seasons. If we don't get that, if we don't understand that, the chances are for us we'll overlook it and then we won't be working with those seasons. You see, the fact is this, friends. Lost and saved. In fact, a lot of lost. A lot of lost people are very successful in life. And it's a very simple reason. They obey these principles. They take a look. They see what the season is like and they learn how to work with that season. Right? The Bible says, a very sad line, says that sometimes the children of the world are wiser than the children of God. I wish that wasn't in there. God, am I not wiser than the world having this book? But you don't listen to the book. 
listen to what God says. And wise people basically learn to adapt and to work through the season in which they find themselves in. Now, winter, spring, summer, and autumn. All the seasons have their good points. Right? And some are far more popular than others. I think it would be unanimous that summer would be the most popular. But you can't live on summer alone, you know. The parts of the world that have perpetual sunshine are, are pretty dismal. It's, it's, it's not pleasant. I don't know about you, but I actually hate that. You get, it gets very tedious. But summer remains the most popular season when the flowers are out and the, 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 the fruit is on the trees, etc., etc., etc. And the most unpopular, undoubtedly, is probably winter. Because it's cold, like today. It's cold, it's freezing. And there is no fruit, there are no blossoms. But the reality is, every single one of those seasons is actually essential for your growth. And learning the different techniques or different actions in each season is crucial for an ever-changing life, a life that's actually going to produce fruit. See, God in His wisdom didn't give you everything at once. God didn't just plunk it onto your lap. And God in His wisdom often takes away that which He does give you. And that's what seasons do. He's the God who gives and he's the God who takes away. That's part of seasonal changes. Actually, I think that line in Job where it says he's the God who gives and the God who takes away, I think it, it, the amplified version is the best. He's the God who gives you and takes away and then gives you more and then takes away more and then gives you far, far more than you ever dreamed of. But hang on, he takes it away again. Oh, he's the God who gives and takes away, all right. And the Bible warns us that if we don't get understanding about seasons and about everything else, but get understanding, it says in Proverbs, in all you're getting, and this season is a season of getting, right? The sales. Everybody's out, get, get this, get that, can't come, got to get this. Well, in all you're getting, it says in the book of Proverbs, make sure you get this one thing, understanding. And when it comes to seasons, I think that's highly, highly pertinent. Understand this. Life is not going to be a continual summer. It isn't going to be, you know, rosy all the time. Understand that, that some seasons have particular pain within them, pain that you and I have to go through. Failure to understand that could mean that you don't actually cooperate with God through the season that you're in. Now, we all know people who are maybe 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years old and they've never changed, right? You meet somebody who's 50 and they're acting like a baby. True? Very quiet this morning. <laughs> you meet someone who's 30 and they're acting like a 10-year-old. True? Absolutely true. Some people take years and years, decades, God in his wisdom gives us three score years and ten, right? Because it takes a long time. Somebody could be 70 years old before they're dealing with childish things. And you get what, what you get is a, a child in an adult's body, right? Where a person has not matured, they can be knocked over by the smallest thing. They react to the smallest thing. No emotional maturity. You see, that's a sign. When you see an adult 
behaving like a child, I'll tell you that is a, a, a clear sign that that person never completed a season. They never let the season do its work in their lives. They just, you know, pulled themselves out of it or rejected the work of God in that. You can see it with an inability to control emotions. You can see it when somebody's got no common sense. You can see it when people don't want to take responsibility. They're stuck in a season of life. Stuck in a moment. I love the U2 song. I don't know if you know that song. I can't remember what the title of it was. But it says this. You got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment. And you can't get out of it. You got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. And I, I remember just hearing that once. I was sitting at an airport and I was preaching on the very same thing. Movement in life, moving on in life. And there was those words coming over the speaker. And I thought, that's exactly right. So many people get stuck in a moment of life and can't move on. They get stuck in a season, never mature, no fruit, no change. I remember one woman we used to pastor a bad experience had happened to her. People had hurt her, genuinely so. It was absolutely true. She was badly treated. And we would go and see her and listen to the whole story. Tell us what happened. Well, this happened and that. That's terrible. <laughs> you know, that's really bad, right? And I've had things happen to me as well. Let's pray about it. And let's just leave that in the past. Let's have communion around it and let's just let it go. You'd be back the next week. She's back on the same subject. Back the next year, she's back on the same subject. And she was an individual who could not move on. She was stuck in a moment of life. And that's a tragedy. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be like that. In Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time for everything. And there's a time for us to, to get a good understanding of, the, of this particular thing. Growth and seeds through seasons. Times through seasons. Could I have my next slide, please? Jesus subjected himself to the discipline of seasonal changes. I think sometimes we forget that he is the eternal son of God. In other words, Jesus didn't come into being, you know, through Mary. Jesus existed forever. God the Father is eternal. God the Son is eternal. God the Holy Ghost is eternal. He's an eternal God, right? So therefore, there was a prior season, if you like, for Jesus. But the scripture says that he left heaven, right? emptied himself of all but love and came as a servant. In Philippians it says, he entered the human race as a servant, took on the nature of a servant. Right? That's a different season, isn't it? A completely different season. From the king of glory, down he comes and humbles himself. Then he went through another season. It says he learned obedience through what he suffered. He became submissive even to death on a cross. And then he entered another season where it says, and the Father exalted him, amen, and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. That's another season. Actually, it doesn't end there. Because in Corinthians, it says that the consummation of all things, that Jesus hands the kingdom over to the Father, right? And gives it all back. He's a God who gives and takes away. I think it's crucial for, to make the best out of the years that you have. I think it's crucial that you learn to work with God through seasonal changes. So let's just take a moment and we'll briefly look at each season. Let's start with the best one. Winter. Oh, that surprised you, didn't it? Winter's good. Not all death 
is bad. Some death is very, 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 very good. Some forms of death, some types of death. You heard the saying, out with the old and in with the new? Amen? Well, this season, as we start a new year, this is particularly a good time to get some of the old stuff out of your life. In Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for everything, you know. It even says there's a time to die. Just recently, as I was visiting my father in hospital, and he didn't have much breath left. He was... And he could hardly recognize me. And I'd come and sit beside his bed and say, Hi, Dad. And he would look. You're... Uh, and he'd think and think. You're Michael. Uh, that's right, Dad. I'm Michael. And you go away and you pray say, You know what, Lord? It's time to die. It's time to... It's perfectly all right. You're 94 years old. There's a time for everything. There's a time to die. And I prayed, Lord, take him home. Just take him now. It's perfectly fine. It's been a good life. And that's time has been had. Now it's time to go. It's the same with Jeanette's mum. When Jeanette's mum, I remember she became very ill. I remember praying. We prayed at that time, Lord, let her just go gloriously. And she did. See, not all death is bad. Death is a natural process. It's as natural as the day you're born. Right? There's a time to live and a time to die, it says in Ecclesiastes. It's just another season. It's another phase of life. Actually, right? A continuation, continuation of it. But all of us need, right now, to think about what you're going to let go of and what you're going to let die off within you. What's going to die this winter? Within you. Old ways, old beliefs, old attitudes, maybe old relationships. It's time to have a clear out, an inventory, a spiritual and practical inventory of our lives. And this is what these occasions bring us. Now, backsliders hate change. Take my word for it. You get it all the time in church. If we move this pulpit from here to here, someone would complain. What did you move the pulpit for? It's been there for years. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, people hate change. Any change. It doesn't actually matter what it is, even if it's good. And I'll tell you why they hate it, because it shows up their lack of change. You see? It shows up sloth. When things are moving and shifting, and when churches start to grow, it says in the book of Acts, when the church began to grow, it was then the widows began to complain. Because there was changes needed. And you've got to watch yourself. See if you don't like change. Be careful. Be careful. Because I think it's often a, a warning sign. Such people are always love nostalgia. Talking about the old days. And it's an inner wish, you see, to think, I wish that nothing would ever change and there would be no challenge to me. And everything could just be status quo and stay the same. Talk about the good old days, as it were. And that's a warning sign right there. We need to be up for change. Are you ready for change? Are you ready for this year? For what God has got in store for you? Well, it's not going to come automatically because there's cooperations that we need. I personally, and I'm not just saying this, I think winter is a fantastic period. And it's a fantastic season because of this. All the field is before me. The whole year is stretched out ahead of me. And, and do you know what? The field is empty. 
My life is, has got no definite plans. I've got nothing. I can do what God calls me to do. There's no crop in the thing. It's all open for planning. It's all open to God. So right now at the beginning of this season, wow, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to go before God once again with my whole life and start, follow the biblical procedures. And here they are. Could I have my next one, please? Look at these. As you look out on this coming year, follow the biblical plan. And it's an extremely simple plan. The first question I would ask myself is what seed, the time you've gotten this year coming up, the time is your field, okay? It's your soil. And you ask yourself, what sort of fruit, what sort of harvest do I want at the end of this year? If you haven't got a plan, you're going to fail, okay? Simple as that. Fail to plan and you're planning to fail. And we need to get a plan. We need to get it from God. And the first question to ask yourself is, what am I doing? What am I doing and where am I going? Now, by seed, what seed? What I mean is this. What career path am I going to follow? What am I actually going to do? Which career path am I going to pursue? What ministry am I going to pursue? That's the seed. And you start to, you know, to, to, to seek God for that, to seek revelation in that area. What type of seed, God? am I going to be putting in my life? What business do you want me to start? And how am I going to do that? What direction do you want me to take in life? And you need to seriously seek God about your field. Because the Bible is clear on this. If you don't plant, the devil does. Right? You don't have to plant weeds, you know. Weeds are going to happen anyway. It's a good fruit that needs planting and tending. So as you look at this year ahead, it's a gift from God. An absolute gift. But it will go to rack and ruin if you don't plan for it. So first of all, ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing and where am I going? Lord, speak to me. God is very keen to speak. It's us. By the way, if you're not willing to obey, I think very often he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak. If I need something done in the church, I'll look around and I'll think, who will say yes? and can do the job. This person can do the job, but I don't think they'll say yes. That person could, I think this person can both do the job and they'll say yes. I'll go and ask them. God's the, it's the same principle. God often, if you're struggling with hearing from God about your direction, about your purpose in life, it can often be because there's a stubbornness in us. We're not going to say yes anyway. So it's just like a, a, a politically correct thing we do. Oh, I am seeking God or I'm doing... But we're not. Not with all our heart, we're not. And so people don't hear. Don't make this year like previous years. Let's make it the best year and find out what God wants. What do you want from my life, God? What, you know, what fruit do you want this particular tree to bear? That's the first question. You need to take some serious time to seek God over that. Do you know if you don't lead your life, life will lead you. Somebody else will lead you. Somebody else will take you where you don't want to go. And you'll, years will go by and you'll think, what am I doing? What? Did I not have my own mind? Did I, was I not able to hear from God myself? Was I just like a little lamb led along in life? And sadly, yes, many are like that. Don't be like that. God has not made you like that. He's got a will for you and a purpose for you. Seek that purpose. 
You see, when you get a word like that, man, it changes you. So there's nothing as confident as a person with a word in them. Nothing. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And when you've got a word in you, nothing can take it away from you. Right? It's powerful, wonderful. And it's worth seeking. But I'm just telling you the truth, folks. In my experience, people don't value this. They don't value this. They just go with the flow. This is precious. I want to know what you want, Lord. Where are we going? What do you want from my life? It's a new season for you. Don't be distracted by all... I love Christmas. I love New Year. That's fine. But don't get distracted by it. Don't get pulled with the flow. Keep your eye firmly on the goalposts here and on what God wants from your life. So first of all, what do you want, God? That's the seed. Secondly, it's a very important point, you need to prepare the soil of your life. If a farmer's got an empty field and he decides I'm going to plant carrots, then the process starts because carrots need certain minerals, certain types of fertilizer. If it was another vegetation, it would require something different. So you don't make any decisions or any plans until you've got the seed. Until you've got the vision for this year or years ahead. You don't do anything. Don't make plans. Do you know the number of people who have come to me and said, I want to go to Bible college? And I said, no. Countless people, especially in our previous church, people would come all the time and say, I want to go to Bible college. Okay, sit down. Why do you want to go to Bible college? (laughs) Well, it'd be good, wouldn't it? (laughs) Would it? You don't want to work, is that it? You don't want to, what do you mean I don't want to work? Well, about 70% of people in Bible college are there because they don't want to get a job. They just don't want to work. It's true. And they end up, they leave and they clog up the system. They drain our resources and we need to weed them out. So tell me why you're doing a point two. Why are you doing this sort of preparation? What's your vision? Now, if you're telling me God's called me to be a pastor, then I'll tell you to go to Bible college. I'll tell you what preparation to do. But don't take Bible college as some sort of an excuse for life. For taking the responsibilities of living as a Christian. Because that's what many, many people do. Especially today. It's a very popular thing to do after your education. And it's a bad route, I'm telling you. Because they really mess up Bible colleges. And I'm sure we've got a few witnesses here in our midst. They'll tell us about that. It's terrible, you see. Because they're, they're always cantankerous within the system. Because they're not there for the right reason. So what's your vision? Once you've got your vision, we can start to prepare your life. So if this is what God's called, if God's called you, you know, to be a doctor, you don't need to go to Bible college, right? You need to go to medical school, amen. You're going the wrong direction. So decide there's nothing wrong with that. So God's called you to a, a secular, we shouldn't even call it secular, you know, God's called you to your profession. He wants you to sanctify that profession and to make it holy before Him, to offer it before Him, whatever you do. It's all acceptable to God. It's not secular and sanctified. That's nonsense. You bring God in there with you and sanctify everything you do. Amen. Amen. Right? So what's the seed? What's your plan for your life? Have you got one? You're going to have to get one. (laughs) You're going to have to go before God. I'm not joking, folks. I'm absolutely serious. If you don't lead your life, your life will lead you. Or someone else will lead you. Up a blind alley. Get a hold of yourself by the scruff of the neck and lead yourself. I used to go away when I first got saved. I thought I need the direction of God. I need to know where I'm going. So every December, at the close of the year, for four or five years, I went alone, on my own. 
to Christian retreat centers completely incommunicado. Nobody could get to me. Nobody could phone me. Total isolation with the Bible. And the reason I did that is because I want to hear. I want to know where I'm going. Right? It's a serious thing. There was one point, and I got many open doors, and I knew I was on the right road. I ended up working in one church. But that season was over. I, I, had, no, I had no direction. I had no seed for where I was going. Let me give you an example of how seriously you should take this. So I'm working for this church, but the time is done. And I know I need to get a new vision. I know I need to enter into a new season. So my sister was going away. She lived in the same city. I rang her up and I said, can I stay in your place? She said, yeah, no problem. I go to her house. I got into the kitchen. Got in the kitchen, got my Bible. I said, it was half eight in the morning. I said, Lord, it's half past eight. And I'm going nowhere until I know where I'm going in life. So here we are. Where am I going? <laughs> What's next? Half eight. Half nine. Half ten. Half eleven. Half twelve. <laughs> Lord, do you know I'm here? Half one. Half two. Half three. Half four. Half five. Lord, I'm not leaving this room without a word. Wrestling like Jacob with the Lord. I need a word. Half six, half seven. Lord, it's going to be 12 hours soon. Getting tired. I'm not moving till you tell me where I'm going. You know, it was actually 12 hours later. It was half eight that night. Boom. Crystal clear. I'm sending you to Poland. You're going to carry some finances. You're going to be going back and forward and then you're going to Ireland. Off you go. Boom. Got it. And so I did. Give me a big money belt. And we had to transport finances back and forward to the churches out in Poland in the far-lying reaches. It's important that you get your seed. By that I mean your direction, your vision for what you're going to do. And you know that it's from God. And then you can start having faith in that. This is your life, by the way, we're talking about here. <laughs> you only got one. So it's kind of serious. It's very important. You get, a good, you get a good seed, a good vision for what God wants you to do and he'll impart that to you. Then you need to prepare your soil. Then you can start thinking about what kind of practical preparations and spiritual preparations are needed. By practical, if you are called to ministry, then yeah, amen, go to Bible college, but choose the right one. There's hundreds of them out there and some of them are no good, some of them are great. Some of them specify one type of ministry, some another. So you need to make a very good choice for the type of Bible college you're going to choose and what specifics in ministry you're going to go for. If it's a career, you need to choose where you're going to study or where you're going to do further studies and bring that before God. Right? So there's practical things that often snag Christians. And then, of course, the preparing of the soil involves spiritual preparation. There's, all, there's weeds, God tells us, that grow up to, to choke your growth, to choke your change, the change that God wants to bring in your life. Weeds of sin. There's rocks in our mind, you know, rocks of unbelief. Rocks that don't want to change. And they need to be gotten out so that God can plow up our unplowed ground. Make us fertile, fallow ground. Fertile ground. Right? So, get your vision. Make it very, take a serious approach to this coming year. Find out what God wants from you. Then you can start to do whatever preparations you need. Because you'll know what you're doing. They involve 
practical preparations and spiritual preparations. And then comes the costly bit. You plant. And planting is hard going because planting is sacrificial. You're starting to give away. It's safe for a marriage partner, for instance. That's planting. So you've been seeking this, seeking that, looking for a partner in life. You find someone. Once you marry that person, once you say, will you marry me? Boom. The seed's in the ground. Are you with me? You've now chosen your harvest. You've now made your choice. So planting is a sacrificial thing. Because once you've made that choice, you've made that choice. When you plant, you plant to the exclusion of everything else. Are you with me? I'll give you an example. My my brother, as you know, is is a Roman Catholic priest who works in the Vatican. And all his life, he's a doctor of moral theology. He lectures on that there. And when he was just passing 40, he had two passions in life. One was moral theology and the other one was politics. And they both had, you know, equal focus from him. And the professors were getting a little bit concerned about that. And he visited me once and he said, I've just had a meeting, you know. And they sat me down and they said, now, Martin, (laughs) we can't go on like this. So which is it going to be? Is it going to be politics or is it going to be moral theology? You can't do both. One of them has to go. Now, of course, he's passionate about both. And it was a costly decision because once he chose politics, he said, "Okay, I'll take politics. But that means you're putting something down. Amen. That's to the exclusion of all that you've been interested in in the past. That's all got to go because now you're planting your life in this. So you see, planting is a serious, serious commitment because you're looking at your soil, you get married, you start a business, you're doing whatever. Planting is a serious, serious business because once you're in, you're in, right? And your, your ground is gone now. It's devoted to what you've heard from God on. So first of all, what seed, what's your vision for your life? Then there's the very serious process of preparing your life to receive this seed from God and, 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 and work your life to be ready for that. Then there's the planting, and it doesn't end there. Then the Bible says that the seed is like a promise, you know. It says that those who by faith and patience inherit the promises of God or bring forth a good crop. Once you've made your decisions, then you have to pray together with God. All I'm saying, folks, is please listen to me. A harvest in your life, a harvest in relationships, ministry, finances, none of it's automatic. None of it's automatic. None of it is, it's not just going to happen. You need to purposefully seek God. The only thing that will naturally happen is weeds. That's it. Weeds. That's the only thing that blow in the air and you don't have to plant. Everything else, that's why the Bible cover to cover, the reference is farming. Farming. He uses farming constantly because it's the most excellent analogy because weeds keep on growing and we need to keep on getting them out and we need to tend our own crop. So this is not going to happen automatically for you. You have a major part to play on this. It's not just you. Of course it's God. And it depends how much you want it. Do you want it? <laughs> Do you want to come out of this year with a harvest? Do you want to come out of this year with the best harvest you have ever had? I've seen God over the last three or four months. I've got two stacks of books this high in my office. And I'm working my way through two of these things. Issues and topics in life that I intend to, to get to know about. 
and to get into because God has guided me, I believe, firmly in that direction. It's a seed. It's a purpose. And I ask you, what's your seed? What's your purpose? For this year and indeed on for the future, you have a part to play in this. Listen to me. Experience has taught me this. People are very good at the first bit. Could I have the next one, please, there? See the seed. See the Word of God. People are really good at that. They go before God. They seek Him for a word and they get a word. They're also really good at the last bit. The water bit. Point four, praying. They're good at praying for what they've received. They're good at at that bit. What they're not good at is the middle two. Preparing the soil in their lives and planting because planting is sacrificial. And you meet many, 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 many Christians. Have you got a vision for your life? The seed? Yes. What are you doing about it? Point four. (laughs) I'm praying about it. Well, you know, are you ready? Oh, I haven't done anything. God's calling me to full-time ministry. God's called me to be a pastor. Okay, what are you doing? I'm a plumber. Okay, have you got had any training? None. Got any plans for training? Don't. I don't think I need it. I'll be all right. The middle two are the part where the problem is. I mean, we had a couple here, right here in this church recently, who wanted to be worship leaders, and I met them about a year and a half ago or so. And I said, you know, where do you want to go? And they want to be worship leaders. We want to do CDs and release CDs and sing because that's what God's called us to do. And I could see, man, you're gifted, number one. You've got a gift. It's a seed. doesn't mean anything. Everybody's gifted. The whole church is gifted. God gives a gift to everything. It doesn't mean that much. Nothing. So, you've got a seed. You've got a gift. That's fine. What's your plan? Well, we're praying about it. But what, what, what have you done with that seed? Nothing. You need to commit to a church. They weren't even going to church. They weren't committed to any church, you know? Nowhere. And I spoke to one of them. I hadn't even been in church, I think, twice in a whole one year. You've been to church twice in a year and you intend to go into worship ministry? You're dreaming. You're dreaming. You're in cuckoo land. Prepare your soil, right? Prepare your soil. You're not special in that regard. People come, you see, and they think, you're lucky to have me. That's, that's the attitude people come to you with. You're, you know, you're fortunate I'm in your church because I've got a gift. We've all got gifts. It's those who will prepare their soil. That's what God's looking for. Your gift's not usable. Not to the body. Remember, it belongs to the church. Whatever gift God's given you, whatever seed he's, but it's not yours. It's the houses. It's the churches. It's for the service to the body. But that requires you to prepare your soil and do the middle bit. Planting means you're going to have to give your life to a church. I've given my life to the church. I've given my life to the church. is why I'm here. I've done it since not long after I got saved. I haven't pursued other things. I've given it. That's planting. I've been with this particular church for 17 years. Right? That's planting. There's, there's a thousand churches out there. Big fat salaries. Etc. Etc. I've made my choice. I put my roots in the ground and here I'll stay because I like this. I think it's a good, wholesome, biblical type church. That's planting. And then your gift can start to be used. Amen. So it's not so simple and it's not so easy. But some, I believe, some people see it like this in a bag of compost. Beautiful compost. Good, good, good stuff. And this is like holy ground. And some people see themselves like this. Some people see the church like this. See, holy ground means there's there's no weeds in here. There's no, there better not be anyway. There's no seeds in here. 
And some churches close the door, shut the door, stay inside. And the whole thing about this Christian life is about protecting us. About us being holy, holy, holy. And then, you see, it's a complete fallacy. Because you arrive at the judgment seat of Christ with a holy life. And God's saying, fine. Where's the other half? A holy life is one half of your Christian life. Where's the fruit? Open the bag. Pour yourself. This needs to be opened. I won't do it because it stinks already, man. This needs to be opened. The seed needs to go into it and it needs to be scattered in the world. In the world. Not off it, but we're in it. You see? And that particular couple that came and said we want to be worship leaders, they had a stand back mentality. I'm just going to live a holy life. and that. No, it doesn't. It's, I wish it was that easy. It's not that easy. Farming is a messy business. It's a very messy business. And you're going to get all messed up in a thousand ways. Not about a holy huddle. Right? So the first season and the most important season is winter, not summer. Because in winter, you're going to be making your choices for the rest of your life. And you better get them right. You better get them from God. The next season is spring. And that's beautiful. It's a wonderful season. Amen. And that's a time where, you know, that for a fruit tree, the first seven years of a fruit tree's life, 90% of the growth is below the surface. 90% of the growth you do not see. It's hidden growth. It's hidden changes. And you see that in Joseph. You see it in Jesus. First 30 years, nobody knew who he was. Right? And that's very important. Changes take place beneath the surface of your life. First seven years. In fact, you can't even eat fruit, right? For until about seven year period. It's not even edible. So the ministry coming out of your life is not edible, really. It's like a crab apple, you know? Better. And we need change. We need time on the vine as we soak in the sap of Christ and he changes us. So you've got your winter, you've got your spring, and then you've got your glorious summer. And summer comes with a warning, a wonderful warning. The warning is simply this. It came from uh, Moses in Deuteronomy. And Moses said this, when it's summertime... When you prosper, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, for it was He who gives you the ability to create wealth. And Moses could see that the people were going to enter the promised land. They were going to receive, you know, fruit in abundance, prosperity in abundance. And Moses said to them, just remember this one thing. In the days of your health and wealth and prosperity, remember this. It is the Lord who prospered you. Don't forget Him. And that is a massively, massively important principle for life. For summer. So when summer comes, how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do? We, very often churches that we've worked for haven't been able to pay us, either not at all or only partly. And that we've tried to develop a little property business in the shadow to try and help us so that we don't put too much pressure on any church, so that we can employ people, etc., etc. And that's worked quite well over the years. But when we began that business, we only had one property. That was it. And somehow, you know, it's the beginning. It's the genesis of this. And we've got to get this right. And I remember our first sale. And we had invited two agents who were going to sell the property for us to come to the house. And they came and they looked around. And it was a kind of, I won't go into the story, but it's a bit complicated. Oh, it is complicated. <laughs> property sales. They, there, there's tax issues when you sell houses, you know, for the buyer. 
And so the person who was buying the house, we had to reduce the price quite a bit, um, by about five, seven thousand pounds, something like that, in order to get a sale. But there's ways around the law. You can jiggery-pokery the law a little bit. Lots of people were doing that at the time, and we weren't willing to do that. And the first agent came to the house and she said, okay, looked around, yeah, fine. I think I'll be able to get you, I think it was 157 or something like that, thousand. I thought, you can't get that, kid. She said, there's ways of doing it. I said, no, 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 no. There's ways we can do this. But it was shady, you see. They sell the contents. They give you like 5,000 pounds for a pen, you know. Uh, and then they give you the rest of the money for the house. And it's a bit, a bit of a shady deal. The second woman came and she said, I, the most I can get you is 149. Uh, and I think she gave a little whisper and said, there are people out there that can get you more. But we don't do that. And when that woman left, I remember turning to Jeanette and I said, we're going with the second woman. <laughs> we're going to lose seven grand. But I would rather do that. This is our first fruits. This is summer. This is summertime. The fruit is coming in. We're getting the rewards for our labor. Now, for heaven's sake, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the God, because it was He who gave us the ability to do this. It was He that did that. And anyway, do you know what? How could you live with yourself if you did do something illegal? You couldn't then pray, could you? You couldn't go before God and say, God bless this finance. God help us with our next deal. No. And we had many deals, you see, one after the other after the other. But it started well. And so we were always able to go before God and pray about whatever property we were going for. That's remembering the Lord in your summertime. And again, the scripture has a, a pretty clear... Could I have the next one up, please? The scripture has a pretty clear... The first fruits belong to God in Deuteronomy. And after we've done that, say you get your harvest in. You give the first fruits of that harvest to God. Secondly... You need to keep some seed for sowing. In other words, you need to have a savings account. I would advise every Christian to have a savings account. Just put some money away. Right? Scripture says that, doesn't it? A, a righteous man stores up for his children. Right? So keep some savings if you can. Put them away there. You need to leave seed for sharing in different ministries that you might want to give to here, there, and everywhere. There's all sorts of things to give to. And then whatever's left is yours. And God is extremely reasonable when it comes to finances. More than reasonable. Are you with me? Summertime. Give the first fruits to God. Right? So your tithes come in off your annual or your monthly or your weekly wages. Keep some seed for sowing. Put, have a savings account. Don't spend all your seed. That's the culture we live in. Leave some seed for sharing. Leave a little bit for offering. Remember, tithe is a debt. You, never, you haven't given anything. You're not a giver if you only tithe. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is a debt. You owe your tithe. After the tithe is gone, we start to give. And that's why this third point, you need to leave some for offering, for giving. Okay? It's a different scriptural thing. So number three, and then the rest is yours. And God is very, very generous. He's very, very generous. He's got no problem with prosperity whatsoever. What he's got a problem with is your heart. As long as he can keep your heart, you're going to have it. No problem. You can now prosper you as the Bible says. Cover to cover. Not a problem with prosperity at all. His only concern is that he's able to keep your heart right with him. And then the last season. And this is where it gets tough, folks. It's autumn. And you see, I think the devil's convinced us that winter's the worst one. <laughs> it's not. The hardest season by far 
is the season of autumn. Because, do you know why? Because everything's taken away from you. You had it. All the fruit was on the trees. All the leaves were on the trees. My life was great. And in autumn, it's a very timely reminder from God that actually he's still the one you need. When everything is stripped away, everything's gone, that's a seasonal change. And it's something that every Christian, if you're wise, you'll get used to. You'll not only get used to it, you'll understand it and embrace it. You ever see a child with a rattle? The parent loves the child, so they get a rattle. You know, here you go. It turns into a nightmare because the child won't let it go. Right? I'm going to the bathroom with my rattle. I'm going to sit on the toilet with my rattle. Nobody's going to get my rattle. I'm going to school with my rattle. Sooner or later, what does the parent have to do? Such is human nature. Do you know why there's a season called autumn? Because that's what you're like. And God gives, amen. He gives in abundance. But he also has to, he also has to take it away. Because we tend to become obsessed with that which we are given. And that's no good. It's not healthy for you. It's not going to build you. You're not going to grow. You know, I was with my, uh, ringing my mum on Christmas Day. Listen to this. My mum had ten children. First one died. And she raised nine of us. And with my dad, we had a good childhood. It was good. It was a war zone, but it was good. We had a good life. And one by one, the children left home. Until it was just her and my dad. And then the children had children. Forty-seven of them. Heavens above. Forty-seven grandchildren. So that lasted about 30 years. Until they were all, like, say, between 15 and 20, and they don't visit anymore. When they're little kids, you bring them round. You don't bring... An adult rank, you know what I mean? So, they raised their own children, they're all gone. Their children had children, now they're all gone. Until my mum was left only with my dad. And the two of them would sit. It was a different season. And then one day, she looks up, and he's gone too. And there she is, all on her own. I rang her on Christmas Day. And I said, hi, Mum. Believing that my brothers, one of my brothers always goes on Christmas Day and stays the whole day. And one of my sisters as well. I rang her. It was about two o'clock. And I said, so who's there? And she said, nobody. It was fine, though. She's 88. Nobody. They're all gone now. And it wasn't sad. She was quite content. Everybody's now got, even the grandchildren, got their own lives. It's all over. The seasons have passed. And guess what's left, guys? Me and him. Just me and God. And I tell you this, listen to me. You can put your hope in many things in life, but you can't control any of it. Do you know people are not under your control? You can't control anyone. You say, oh, my wife loves me, my husband loves me. Will they love you tomorrow? It's actually beyond your control. People, relationships are not under your control. Finances are not under your control. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen in the world economies, right? 
You may have great confidence, but that confidence is completely, you know, it's misplaced. People are not under your control. Finances are not under your control. And your very health is not under your control. And you can't put your hope, actually, in anything other than God. God is the only thing that doesn't change. He's the only immovable, unchangeable thing. And He is the only place where it is sensible and wise to put your hope and your trust. Right? And He will see you through the seasons. Some of them painful. Some of them joyful. But the wisest man who ever lived gave us a little warning. He says, hey, there's a time for everything. Time to live. Time to die. Time to laugh. And a time to cry. The best thing for you to do, don't put all your hope in a person. Don't put all your hope in a career. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Let him take you through the seasons of your life. What is it David said? I have put my hope in God alone. 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 He had been through many trials. And you will go through them too. Make God your anchor this morning. And as you begin this new year, I ask you, please, take it very seriously. And get the word in your heart from heaven. Invite the worship team back.